Tara. <laughs> this is Adam. We're uh, basic snitches. Yeah, words are hard. We're basic snitches. We are. Hi. We told you this is how we're introing every episode, but Whoa. sometimes it might be, you know, our normal, basic, awkward, quirky selves. I am always basic and awkward and quirky. This is not NPR. Today, chapter three. Chapter three of Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. The Advance Guard. I thought we were going to say that in in unison. Oh, I was very distracted by your dryer going off for the fourth time in 20 minutes. If you hear beeping in the background, it's because my dryer's ready. It can... It's literally just like, excuse me, pay attention to me. It's real fucking annoying. It can be mad. So, yeah. It's not getting emptied for a hot minute. This episode will will feature a special guest, Adam's dryer. Yes. Yeah, Vance Guard, Chapter 3. That's what we're doing today. That's right. Woo! And as always, we'd like to recognize our patrons from our Patreon. Nisi is still our single patron. Thank you so much, Nisi, as always, for your support. If you'd like to support Basic Snitches, please go to patreon.com slash basicsnitches to get a bunch of exclusive content that never makes it to our normal episodes. In this week's Patreon exclusive, learn a little bit about why my vacation was super amazing and why Tara's life is not that great lately. Who won in last last show? Okay, so chapter two. I think the winner or loser is pretty pretty easy. The winner of chapter two is Mrs. Fig. Oh, hell yeah. I don't really feel like I need to explain too much outside of the fact that there's a person in this situation who is doing everything they can to help. It's not a lot, and that's not her fault, but it's something. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that. The loser of the chapter is Uncle Vernon, because I feel like he's just not listening at all. His reaction to everything and his unwillingness to be open-minded about anything is always going to piss me off and always going to annoy me. And it's almost like he was more interested in being angry with Harry than making sure his child was okay. And that made me really uncomfortable, too. Like, this guy sucks. And most importantly, he also ate mayonnaise out of a jar with a spoon. That's disgusting. (laughs) That is unforgivable. Unforgivable. So you wrote a thing? Oh, yes. Oh, shit, I need to send you that. (laughs) I'm saying this, and I am almost positive that she's like, uh, completely forgot. <laughs> Just like we always do. I'm the best at zero things. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be the best at something. When we figure that out, we'll let you know. If we think about it for a little bit, I could probably come up with something. Besides being a potato bitch, okay? Well, she figured it out. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's like, what is my job as potato bitch? You're very crispy <laughs> on the outside and very soft and warm and fluffy on the inside. Here we go. Chapter 3, The Advanced Guard. This is the chapter where fans start to decide that Harry is a whiny, angsty bitch. Never mind the trauma and abandonment and bullshit, but whatever. Anyway, right after he goes to his room, Harry sends letters to Ron, Hermione, and Sirius demanding answers because he is totally in the dark. But he gets no answer and he basically just sits in his room depressed as fuck for four days. Then one evening when the Dursleys leave and Harry is alone in the house, he thinks he hears intruders. But the intruder turns out to be a fuck ton of wizards who are finally coming to take Harry away from the dish rags. Most of them are people Harry doesn't know, except Lupin and Moody, and apparently none of them have ever seen a muggle home before. So they get Harry from the muggle hell in the most conspicuous manner possible. They fucking fly over London on brooms. Then they land in the middle of a muggle street, and Moody gives Harry a piece of paper to read. Weird way to end a chapter, but okay. Yeah, it is kind of a weird way to end the chapter. I'm just like, oh, this chapter, read this. 
that's one of those chapters maybe where you're like, mm, not a huge cliffhanger. I don't necessarily need to turn the page. This is a good time to go to bed. But it's so early in the book, you're like, God damn it. Yeah. I need to get a good wow. spot to close, go to bed. We open it up with... Um, Harry literally, like, storming up the stairs and being like, bitches, tell me what's up. But Hedwig is not actually back yet. Yes. So he writes it down and he's waiting for her. Yeah. So I do think that everything in the last chapter was so kind of confusing and overwhelming that it was kind of good on him to remain calm in the moment and then save his anger and like kind of take it out once he gets back to his room. So I do want to call him out for that. Also, this is where it's painfully obvious too that he's still a teenager. He is 15 now. He also like didn't have time to completely understand the gravity of the full picture of what's going on. So I do kind of get it that both this episode and the next one, I think we're going to be talking a lot about the angst that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I get where he's coming from, and there are some moments of like true weakness and everything, too, in the way that he approaches things, but reminding ourselves that there are moments where he is very mature, but he still has a lot of maturing to do. He absolutely does. Yeah. And he is a kid. This is a very relatable reaction that he held off for for a moment and then went upstairs, was like, man, kicking things. He takes it out a little bit on Hedwig when she comes in. Of course, I'm like, but Hedwig is the best. But we all do that. You know, this is a very relatable feeling, taking out our frustration on the people we care about. We see more of that in the next chapter. Especially after everything has kind of built up to. Like, here's the thing is that it's not just this moment. This was like the culmination of everything. He's been alone for four weeks. He's had no one really contacting him. No one's giving him anything. And I know he's like, I want some fucking answers. Okay, if people can't give you answers, can we at least check on the traumatized teenage boy who is with people you know are not treating him properly or giving Mm -hmm. him the kind of care he needs. No one is doing that. I'm going to harp on this every fucking chapter because I'm so pissed about it. I'm always going to be pissed about it. And it's worth also remembering what happened at the end of the last book, too. Exactly. All this crazy shit happened. Like, you almost died. You watched Cedric get killed. You get attacked by Voldemort. Cocaine baby's back. So the school year's over. It's summer. You got to go back to here where no one gives a shit about you. We know no one gives a shit about you. And we're not going to talk to you or help you or, like, reach out to you and make sure you're okay. And I know I said this in the last episode, but I'm just so fired up about it. Because honestly, I feel like I might have thrown a bigger fit. I was also going to say something like, in past books, especially in the last book, when, you know, I don't know, the second task comes to mind. He is still under an immense amount of pressure, and he is without anybody when it comes down to the clutch after Ron and Hermione are taken away to get drowned. So he's been under this pressure in the past, and we do, I've mentioned it many, many times, we see a lot of mindful moments from him, but things are also different now. I mean, I will have somewhat of a different feeling when he completely explodes in the next chapter, but we'll get to it then. I think that when you look at every single thing and remember that, okay, yeah, this is the start of a new book, but what happened at the end of the last book and considering the time that has passed since then, some of these emotions are pretty normal. And just looking at how he handled things in the last chapter is kind of also a reminder of like, you know, there are moments where he is able to be composed right. and, and everything. So. Well, and remember the fact that he went home to the Dursleys. He hasn't really had a chance to process this. He hasn't been able to have a meltdown about it, you know, to feel 
the sorrow and the fear and the frustration and the anger and everything that's going to come from that, you know, that he literally lays into his best friends with, there's been no outlet for him. Do you think it's okay? You know, fuck you. I was talking to Adam Dreyer. She was talking to me. And you. I was Um, rubbing my hand up her leg. Yeah. No, but like he didn't get... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he didn't get to do any of that. You know, it's just his nightmares that Dudley overhears. I'm so frustrated by how traumatizing this whole thing was. Well, what is Dudley doing with his ear pressed against Harry's? Right? It, I mean, like, maybe Harry's was screaming Cedric's name really loudly. I don't know. He's like, who's Cedric? He um, also is obsessed with Harry, just like Draco. <laughs> Right? I, I really think, think that that's another thing that we never think about when we get to this book and we're like, Harry's an angsty bitch. He didn't get to have that. That there's maybe a little bit of a parallel, and I'm sorry to go off a little bit on this, but I think this is an important thing, even for us and people living in this fucking pandemic times, you know? Like, I know I feel like I haven't really had a chance to decompress anything from the last year and a half. Well, you, you don't know? have a lot of time to do anything. Well, this this is fair, but you know, at the beginning of twenty twenty, we lost Inky, and yeah. she's the best person ever. I don't know that I ever got to like completely grieve for her mm. when we're going right into the pandemic, you know, and just like then it's all these experiences that we're not getting to do, and we're not getting to spend the time with people that we well, and life to changed, and nothing was certain, and nothing felt right, and no one, I don't think got to really process what that was and how much we all relied on human interaction and that type of a relationship with people then it had to become a new normal and now we're just kind of how do you get back into it yeah because because we don't know what it is anymore like i don't even know what to get back into you know and I, i wonder if harry just is like well i have no choice like i can't sit down and be like wow, I lost a friend and, you know, the worst, most evil wizard ever is coming for me because I am in this place where if I were to have an emotional need and connection for someone to comfort me and be my friend and give me the type of thing that we want as human beings, just a little bit of encouragement and guarantee someone is there for you. He didn't have that. I think the comparison to the pandemic is a good way to look at it. Now, this is still worse, I think. Absolutely. What I was going to say is that I live by myself and I work from home and everything. So that gave me the space that I needed to figure out, okay, this is how I'm processing it and coming out of it differently. Right. Because there are some, the way that I'm approaching certain things, I think is a lot different than I would prior to. Absolutely. So it's good to get all of that out now because, and or reiterate some of it because it's such a huge theme. After all of this, in the next four days when he is waiting for something to happen, because there's a lot of apathy and overthinking and stuff, and that is all normal as well. What basically happens here is the seven wizards come in to, to save him. But it took four days. Yep. They just proved that they're able to act very, very quickly. The fact that there were five owls in the previous chapter. Yeah. Why did it take four days? Now, something else I wrote at this point is like, why did they also wait to this point? And then I was like, oh, the whole thing of like the immaculate lawn competition or whatever the fuck, which I really appreciate because it fits so well. But while I enjoy the whole lawn thing, if they came when the Dursleys were there, that would not stop them from being able to save Harry. Lupin even says something once he's there that it took a while to set up HQ. But I'm like, how so? You haven't been having order meetings before this? When everything was just kind of coming back? Sure, I imagine it took some time to get everybody to kind of rally back together and stuff. But why did it really take four I... days? 
I think that they were waiting for Dumbledore to say what he wanted to do and set it up. And I don't think Dumbledore made it a priority. What was he doing? Is there something? I don't know. I don't know what the fuck Dumbledore was doing. But because to me, I feel like looking at the people involved in this, Moody, who we don't really know yet. I think Moody is a man of action. Mm-hmm. But he is an underling to Dumbledore. He's also extremely caught up in the aurorishness of it all. But I really feel like had Dumbledore just been like, Moody, this is your project, I think Moody would have gotten Harry out faster. Not because I, I he, th- not because he cares more about Harry or anything, but he would be like, well, let's look at this. And obviously, if Lupin had been in charge of it, Lupin would have been like, why the fuck did he even go back there for more than a minute? Because... I think Lupin is probably the best person to be in charge because he mm-hmm. knows Harry the best. Right. I want to talk about Moody, too, because some of the stuff he says about, like, should any of us die? And then later when they're flying, like, maybe we should loop back around yeah. to, like, shake people off our trail in the event that there is somebody on our trail. It is, like, very strategic, but it isn't completely 100% thought out either. And it, in some cases, is jumping the gun. And it's interesting because now this is the real Mr. Moody, and we didn't get to see any of it, so now we're finally seeing the actual quirks of this guy. Yeah. I think you made such a good point about how, like, he was able to get, like, five owls in one fucking ten-minute span, but no one made an effort to handle this right away. Yeah. There was something else going on. To me, the thing that makes the most sense is that Dumbledore was like, well, I'm not ready for Harry to be here yet. That happening and not having like the Weasleys or someone swoop in there and be like, let's get him the fuck out of here means that someone who everyone else is going to listen to said, nah, not yet. There are already several missteps in terms of Dumbledore's plan, in terms of like Harry's mental health, but I don't want to discount that Dumbledore is also basically playing the good, in quotes, Minister of Magic right now, because as we learn a lot more in the next one, and we already knew, the current Minister of Magic is a piece of shit, and he is not really doing his job justice in terms of protecting everybody. Yeah, he's the worst. So there are probably other things that Dumbledore does need to take care of that oh, are yeah. a priority. What I wish would have happened is that he would have been able to, even if there were some like blockages to getting Harry to leave, because I think the Weasley swooping in and doing everything, clearly that is probably not the safest thing to do. So this was the best case scenario, but if they could have prioritized getting things ready and then deferring the rescue of Harry to Lupin, let's say, mm-hmm. that would have been a better thing and maybe it would have only been two days or something. I was kind of like, yeah, four days after all of this happening, an absolute radio silence is a little bit rough. Clearly, Dumbledore has been communicating with, to Everyone some degree... Else. Even Ron and Hermione, because they received the notes, and of course Sirius did too, but they didn't respond. Dumbledore knew, I'm sure. It's unfortunate that it took as long as it did. Yeah, it's very annoying. So, there are some major names here that I want to make sure that we track. There are nine wizards, and the two main ones, of course, that we already know of are Moody and Lupin. Yes, we know Moody and Lupin. Then there is Tonks. What I have to say about her and all of her quirks that are very tonksy, like her crazy hair and everything, but even the way that she communicates and like notices things, but also the way that she talks to Harry as they're packing. Tonks is the number one character in the series who would be a guest on this podcast. 
Fuck yes. We have said things like, oh, we would hang out with Sirius. We would hang out with Lupin. We would hang out with Freddy Crouch Jr. Things like that. Right. Tonks is the most like the two of us and the people who have been on this podcast, in my opinion, so far. Oh, absolutely. Tonks is literally just one of the greatest characters in the series to begin with. What I love, and you touched on it too, because you were like, I really like how she talks to Harry, is that everyone else is like, you know, because Moody even says... A lot of people were interested in coming to this. And obviously, I guess it was good to have a lot of people, but everyone's just kind of like bumping around being annoying and stupid. And Tonks is like, I got you. I'll help you with this. I mean, she's obviously the youngest one there. And she interacts with Harry like he's the kid he is. And like he's not just A, the rescue mission like Moody does. Or a former student like perhaps Lupin does. I don't necessarily think that's Lupin style, but... Well, we don't get much time with Lupin as Shepard because it really is... Yeah. Or like a famous person. Right, like every fucking buddy else. Yeah. So she instantly gets in there and she just like talks to him like he's a normal kid. I love it. She is... Absolutely lovely. I cannot wait to see more and more and more of her because, again, we've talked about so many other characters and how they're relatable. And some of it is, like, the action items. See, look, he loves this job. I'm so happy I gave him that gift. He, he has a wand. Oh, <laughs> look at you. What? You look so stupid with that. <laughs> he looks so cute. It's cute, but it's also he looks also very A little mini panther. <laughs> Stop <laughs> doing that. It's going to blow his ego up. But she would be able to, like, crack jokes that we talk about on this podcast. Oh, God, yeah. She probably does call Peter Pettigrew skinny dick. Just saying. <laughs> so some of the other ones, I already touched on, like, treating him like a celebrity. Daedalus Diggle. Wasn't he the guy in, like, the first chapter, the man in the robes that bumped into him on the street? Yes. That's what I thought. So. And he comes back again. Yes. Very end of the series. I was going to say, a lot of these people, I'm like, things happen to these people, or, mm-hmm. like, I want to track the trajectory of them. There's Hestia Jones, there's Emmeline Vance, Elpheus Dodge. I know things happen to them. I could not tell you what they are right now, because I just do not remember. And then the other one is Sturgis Podmore, who has to be related to Sir Patrick Podmore. Very likely. That is quite a name. It's not... Probably a coincidence that there are two Podmores so far. That's everybody, right? Kingsley. Kingsley, yeah. Well, we get a lot of time. Yeah. Can't believe I didn't mention Kingsley, but he obviously, other than Tonks, is the other new, like, major one. He's another one I want to keep my eye on and see more of, like, the leadership qualities because, you know, I mentioned Lupin would probably have been a good person to lead this mission because he knows Harry the most. But I have no doubt that Kingsley would have maybe even done it more smoothly because I love Kingsley. Oh, me too. The mission itself, like, I'm glad they're all there doing it, but the timing makes me annoyed. Basically, everyone just wanders around randomly while Harry and Tonks pack. So Uh weird. Yeah. I'm like, what are we doing, guys? Why are there so many of you? Moody's eyeball gets dirty. Oh, yeah, he's like... That fucking gross ass bitch. He got me my eyeball. eyeball all gross. Wait, what happened? What? What? Oh, the bitch. The bitch who <laughs> used the eyeball. <laughs> the bitch who used the eyeball. I was like, eyeball. wait, which one? Like, he had to put it into a glass of water yeah. and it was whizzing around like crazy. Which is creepy as fuck. Hastia Jones is you because she was laughing at a potato peeler. <laughs> I gave you the straw, bitch. This is mine. I don't know how much is going to end up in here because I'm probably going to cut a lot of it out. 
But we have fountain drinks with straws that we put alcohol into. And Bentley loves straws. There was one time where I had a fountain drink on the counter and I left the room for 20 seconds and he knocked it off and spilled it all over and he got in big trouble. But it's because of the straw. And Tara gave him his straw. He's still begging her. <laughs> Trying to get your cat drunk. Bentley, he does not need to be drunk. He's, He's already fucking it. high. So yeah, Hestia, Hestia Jones and her potato peeler. Now, if I were to go get my potato peeler and wield it at you, I know you would be very scared. Uh, I would, because I have no fucking like understanding as to why you would need to have a potato peeler near me. Because you're a potato? Why would you need to peel me? I would take all the skin off of you. That is creepy, Hannibal Lecter. Or maybe I'm the potato peeler and I take off all your clothes. <laughs> So you're Hestia Jones. Just had to throw that out there. The other thing that comes up that is kind of fun is Moody's lag. Don't put your wand in your back pocket. You're going to shoot you off your ass. <laughs> I mean, really like how Chong's is like. You, you got both, both your buttocks? <laughs> both, both cheeks still there? Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, she belongs here. She uh, belongs here on basic attention. You're going to blow off your ass. So once they are flying... Moody is still being quite moody. He's living up to his name yeah. about, like, all the things of, like, well, one of us could die, and Kingsley's like, we ain't dying, bitch. And then I do want to talk about Harry's emotions being a theme in this book. The joy that he has, and it's not just from flying, because, of course, you know, that is a great escape from him. In this case, a very literal one. I think there's something to be said about he's back in the magic world, and he's feeling that joy despite the circumstances. I think that's really important. Like, he'd rather be back in the magical world, no matter what the circumstances, rather than being stuck with the dish rags. But also, it almost shows that he isn't afraid of death at all, which is, of course, a major theme in the series, too. Yeah. Here, it is not very prevalent whatsoever, unless somebody were to come attack them, obviously, but he is just, like, feeling his oats. Moody's like, oh, we should probably double back and, uh... Tongs is like, Tongs like fuck that. Bitch, it my, is cold as fuck. My titties done froze off. <laughs> we are going, we're almost there. Also, the choice to fly through the fucking air on room six was already a thing, okay? Yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't really have another option. Right. I which mean, they covered, so. Evaporated. Side by side. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was like something. That cracking noise. Oh, I'm drinking some cracking in my Dr. Pepper right now. You are. Sponsor us. So once they touch back down in the ghetto. The this grim old ghetto. place is in not a very nice area. I keep noticing all these clues from beginning chapters because we talked about, you know, Mr. Tibbles. We talked about Daedalus Diggle. Mm -hmm. We talked about Sirius Black. I mean, that obviously is something that has been a theme from that first episode where we're like, oh, that's a major name that you can't really ignore when you're right. reading it. But they have the putter outer. They call it two different things in this chapter. Deluminator? <laughs> no, they don't call it the Deluminator. But Put Outer is definitely something that Put Outer, which is what it's called, I think, in the first chapter of the book, too. The paragraph is, the nearest street lamp went out with a pop. He clicked the unlighter again. Unlighter. And the next lamp went out. And then he says to Harry, borrowed it from Dumbledore, growled Moody, pocketing the Put Outer. Maybe it's just from Harry's point of view, him saying what it does without knowing its name or something. Because back then he was a babe. Right, he didn't know. Finn. He was like, I don't even know this is happening. I'm, I'm sleeping. I just defeated an evil man. I need to get my beauty rest. And then, of course, like, like you said, here, read this piece of paper. Read this. The end. What is number 12, Grimwald Place? It's just very weird. They're, they just land in the middle of everything. 
I like that you point out that it's a strange way to end a chapter because usually I feel like chapters always end on an upswing. We yeah. always well, there's like talk a clear about like closure. Yeah. To the chapter, and obviously this one there is a clear closure, but it's just kind of like what happens when you read that paper. I do appreciate though the sentence structure that gives you the hint that we should know whose handwriting this is. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. The narrow handwriting was vaguely familiar. So it was probably Dumble. It's Dumble. Here was an so issue Dumble's for me. Dumble's just like writing a bunch of sheets of paper and being like, share this to people, but then they have to destroy it. And that's how they know that this is here? Well, because Dumbledore is a secret keeper for Grimwald Place. And uh, so the only way you can go to a place where there is a secret keeper is if the secret keeper themselves tells you. So Harry has to read that in Dumble's handwriting. That makes sense. Damn it. I was honestly like... Is this like another mindfulness thing of like you just think really, really hard about it and it'll appear? Because if that's the case, I want a husband. But time to play a game. Oh, yeah. Today's game is Never Have I Ever. Music. That's not how the new music goes. I made... Also additional music. Tara made additional music. <laughs> I like it. That is not music, but okay. Mark, mark, mark. That's the music <laughs> that you made. We've all played Never Have I Ever, right? You put up one or two hands and you put down the things that you have actually done and whoever has done the least amount of things wins. So I chose five things that happened in this chapter. And we're going to play Never Have It Ever. Now, this one was a little bit of a stretch, but I was like, well, let me try a new game and see how this goes. So maybe this will work better with other chapters. First, Never Have I Ever Dyed My Hair a Crazy Color. Boom. <laughs> I can put one down. What crazy color did you use? Green. You dyed your hair green? Once. Oh my god. Tara is Billie Eilish. Dude, Billie Eilish is fucking great. Yeah, yeah that's good. I, I dyed my hair purple. Does that, what does that make me? PewDiePie or something? You, you're fantastic. Man. Thank you. I, and it was recently purple. It was oh, it, I was like, pandemic I situation. was like 20 and I dried the streak with my hair green. Oh that my was, god. And it didn't really stay for long. Number two, laughed at a kitchen tool. I had to put that in here. No. Okay, let's change that up a little bit. Let's do had an adverse reaction to a kitchen tool. No. I mean, I have definitely screamed at a blender. There was that one time where I was having that bad week and I ripped my thumb open while cleaning a blender. I remember that. So I'm gonna put a finger down for that. I didn't laugh at it though. I screamed at it and probably called it a big old piece of shit. Driven out of your way to accept an award or for some sort of achievement, let's say that. Like the Dursleys do. No, me either. That is the one thing I haven't done. The next one, flown in an airplane. Put it on a finger, bitch. Me too. It's because they are flying on booms, and I was like trying to find some real life parallel. The last one is packed for a trip very hastily, which is what Tonks and Harry do. That's what I do every time I pack for a trip. Oh, not me. I got those packing cubes, and I'm very, very specific. I always That's not every pack. time. Definitely pack for trips hastily. I don't think I've ever done that and just thrown stuff in a suitcase. I need to be organized. Once I literally had like minutes to know that I was going on a trip. Oh. But I've also been known to just throw shit together. Ah, so. uh, I see. How many fingers do you have left? Ooh. We tied. So I dyed my hair a crazy color. I have been on an airplane. Me too. And I screamed at a blender. And yours was... I hastily packed. Yes. It's a draw this time. 
Oh, I was gonna <laughs> wow, 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 wow. No one, no I was one. doing like the the western. I know. Sound. I don't know how I feel about that one. Maybe it'll be a little bit better when there's some juicier things that happen in chapter. Yeah. Shall we talk about the movie? Let's talk about the movie. What happens if he gets back to his? I was gonna about to say hotel room. <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess it is. It's just in a very unfortunate hotel. He is physically angry, of course, from like what happened. It's also worth noting that what happened in the movie, as we talked about it last time, they take Dudley to the hospital, and we were even like, yes. "Why are the fuck are you doing that?" He looks at the picture of his parents, a uh, very sweet moment. And then he lies down in bed and it kind of fades to black. And at first I took that to mean a passage of time, but literally it's just him falling asleep and having the dream of Voldemort and Cedric and all of that. Then he wakes up. So there was really no passage of time whatsoever. It's just that everybody in the movie was a lot more efficient at coming to rescue him. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we're just assuming that's what it is because the last thing we saw was them taking Dudley we're assuming to the hospital. Yeah. When we were watching it, you said, I like this better because, it, you know, it happened faster. And I'm like, I like that it happened faster too because, you know, that's, that's how it literally be the reason why I like it happening better in the movie is because he doesn't have to wait four more days. They set it up very strangely, like it's some kind of like horror movie where Harry's like lying there sleeping and suddenly the key is turning and it's kind of creepy yeah like he doesn't hear anything downstairs and, yeah and then the door opens and there's just a fuck ton of people just standing they're staring at him in his bedroom creepy mm-hmm. it's five people right yeah there are five so, people in it so it's no lupin lupin's not there and we don't really know who two of the people are we just i think wanted to assume that they were dadalus diggle and emmeline's aunts i think yeah because it's one man and one woman so it could very well be Podmore and, and Hestia Jones or something. Yeah. But but Tonks is there, which is the most important. Yes. I would have loved to see that packing moment and a little bit more of Tonks. I also just love her. Her name is escaping me right now. The actress who plays yeah. Tonks. But she's Natalina something. I will say the scene of them in the door, like the way that it's lit up. They're like, we don't give a shit about those two people whose names we haven't verified. Kingsley's not going to be a huge character yet, but we want to make sure you mm-hmm. see him. As they're walking out, they do mention Kingsley. Yes. But they don't say Nymphadora, and they don't say Tonks yet. Now, there is a little bit of chatter about, like, wow, these muggles here like to keep things clean. Mm-hmm. I like the speediness of them arriving. It helps move the story forward, because take a look at this fucking book. Yeah. They don't got time for four days to pass. I also do sort of appreciate the quirkiness of the, like, most immaculate long competition or whatever, because... As I've said, keeping up appearances and everything, so it really is, like, on brand for that. And, yeah, they fly up in the air. It's very They They triumphant. do this whole, like, scene where they're flying literally over the Thames, past Buckingham Palace. And, and past, like, a boat. Right, and then there's, like, a little moment with Harry and Tonks mm-hmm. racing. Again, it's a movie enhancement. Mm-hmm. Doing that, I guess I get it. There's no moment of, oh, hey, maybe we need to, like, get out of the sight of muggles. Like, there's the moment in the book where they're like, a muggle is looking this way. Oh, and we didn't even mention that Harry's under the disillusionment charm. No, we just jump on those brooms and fly over the Thames. And we have a fun time, and then we drop down in Gribble Place, and, and it is like, in a normal neighborhood. Yeah, we're like, this neighborhood's nice. Oh, oh we're in this park. Let's come out this gate. Then. Hey, here are a bunch of people with brooms. 
And then Moody's, like, banging on the ground. Yeah. No, there's no paper or anything. It's just, like, I'm going to bash my stick into the ground and this house and is going to appear. Yeah. There's no, like, lighting things. Like, they don't care about security Shout at all. Shout out to that fish that was clearly shaking who didn't give a shit. Yeah, the I do bowl. like that little touch. And I like the people watching TV and their whole house is moving and they're they just, like, notice. oblivious. I feel like that fish is not oblivious, and he's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do about this? That fish can't remember what he had for breakfast. <laughs> well, during that moment, he was like, what do I do? What is this? And then he was, you know, he's a fish, so he can't remember. And then he probably later. died an hour later. <laughs> Aw, poor goldfish. So, it's definitely an abbreviated thing. There are some things that I like. There are some things, like, I really don't like how there was absolutely no security measures happening. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. We don't even care if, like, muggles see us. But muggles, evil people, whatever. We're just going to have a good old time flying around. we gotta, we got to get to London. Let's go. That's right. It's an odd choice, but it's not bad. I don't feel like we're missing much. I think the secret keeper thing is a little important. That's also, But yeah. it's more important way further down the road. We have all positive points this time around. Ooh. No one really warranted points getting taken away. We're going to give 20 points to the main players, of course, in the rescue team. And that's 20 to Moody, Lupin, Tonks, and Kingsley. Yes. I'm also going to give 10 to Daedalus, Elpheus, Hestia, Sturgis, and Emmeline. Because they were there. Because they were there. They helped. (laughs) They did. The only other person who gets points is Hedwig. Five. Hell yeah. Because she has to deal with Harry's teenager-ish. Right. Hedwig doesn't deserve it. Yeah. That is chapter three. Next time we will be obviously discussing chapter, chapter four, four, which is called Grimmauld Place. Oh, it's number 12, Grimmauld Place. 12, Grimmauld Place. If it was just Grimmauld Place, I, that sounds like a theme park. <laughs> Does it? And it's I don't want to go to not there. quite a theme park. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you like disembodied heads and screaming old lady portraits and <laughs> snakes all over the place. We're a classy joint. It sure is. So we will discuss that chapter next time. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash for $3 a month and get exclusive content. And we will mention you in every single episode. In the meantime, have a good good time with your life. Yeah, we're bad at outros now. Yeah, we got the intro thing down. The outro okay. thing is still a work in progress. <laughs> Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by me, Adam Bowers. And published by me, Tara Corkery, and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please review and rate us five stars on your app of choice, and be sure to share us to all of your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Sometimes I update that. Basic Snitches on Instagram. Also, we have a Facebook page. And email us anything you want to or specifically answers to our questions on our segments. BasicSnitches at gmail.com. But don't send us dick pics, please. That's nasty. But do send us liquor. Thanks. Yeah. Alohomora. Oh, now people can get into your house. They're on their toe. But they don't matter because now you're a water goblin. Bye. Bye.